0: What are the questions white Americans should be asking? Well, I
1: think many white Americans claim they believe in racial equality.
0: Do you believe that white Americans are inherently racist?
1: Oh, I do not. And I run to my little
0: room. And there she spots a crack, sneaking its way down a wall. Something inside of me says, run, because this building will collapse. She races barefoot, toward a staircase by the elevators. And I start going down. You're going to see these individual types of blips. It's almost like it's going to be two Americas. Mr. Cosby, how does it feel to be home? Well, (laughs) he is extremely happy to be home. He looks forward to reuniting with his wife. He says, you know, his heart is just
2: beating really fast, and he's happy to be
3: home. You hear somebody in the background say, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) Did you hear that? You know what that's from? Hey hey hey! I don't know. You don't know what that's from, Alice? Where were you in 1970 and then
2: eight? <laughs> Good question.
3: That is from Fat Albert, which was uh, Bill Cosby's show, his animated show, Fat Albert. And did not watch it. Yeah, it was an It's an odd. It's a very time-stamped kind of show to watch. Now it is heavy 70s. So that's Bill Cosby, did not speak, he just made a happy face, he had his lawyer speak. I guess they just wanted to make sure he got out of that door, into the car, and into his own house, and without screwing anything up,
1: because he did mm-hmm. not
3: say a thing, unless he can't speak right now for some reason, physically, I don't know, but it's an odd time, because this guy's case got tur- overturned on a fluke, Well, well, not even a fluke, somebody screwed him, I mean, th- somebody screwed him procedurally.
2: Right. So he had he had testified in the civil case against him on the condition that they would not bring a criminal case against him. And then they brought a criminal case against him and used that testimony that he had given in the civil case on the understanding that he wouldn't be charged criminally.
3: So the person who did that, I believe, is in deep kimchi. Because they did it just 12 days before the statute of limitations expired on being able to bust him criminally. Mm -hmm. So they got it in there in a hurry. And then what was some audio was was discovered?
2: No, I think it was his testimony from the civil case. No, what I'm saying is
3: that how did they find out that that promise was made?
2: Um, I'm not sure.
3: I think they that. found, I thought they No,
2: cause they, I mean, this isn't reason, like that was the understanding at the time too. Cause it, but it wasn't put in writing. Oh. You're right. But, but they knew this, but they had kind of said like, well, we don't have to stick to it basically is my oh, understanding I okay. that I mean, I could be wrong, but this is one of the things his lawyers argued anyway. And you know, they did eventually overturn it. I mean, I think he probably deserves to be in jail uh but you know like i also think that the ways that we handle testimony and evidence are really important in the justice system and so you know it i think it's worth preserving those standards of uh of how we treat people in, in criminal trials and and how we use testimony <laughs> they also let other people testify as mo which um i don't know if you've heard Ever the uh, murder on the millennial Express podcast you've heard my sister talk about this on there that um that you can't usually in trials bring in you know testimony about other crimes that people have committed other than the one that you're talking about unless it provides evidence of a modus operandi right mm-hmm. so you can't but a judge doesn't have to bring it in if it's going to be more prejudicial. Um, so they brought in a lot of other women saying this, but you know there really is a question about was that actually more prejudicial and just to make them lock him, lock him up and throw away the key, or was it actually to show an mo, you know? <laughs> so there was some question about that as well. But the reason why it got turned out was turned over was this was this thing about the the criminal versus the civil. So this case. puts
3: us in a very interesting time in the world, Dallas, mm-hmm. <laughs> because Bill Cosby in the 1980s, was a national hero.
2: Yeah, America's show. dad.
3: And this is a guy who had a career since the, or at least the 60s and into the 70s. And then it seems to me kind of went away or was in the back burner. And then he came out with this uh, comedy routine that played on HBO or something called Bill Cosby himself. It was a one-man show, and he just talked for like an hour and 40 minutes or something. hmm about being a dad and a parent, whatever. And the Cosby show was written, the first episodes, right off of that. His <laughs> jokes were used in the show, et cetera, et cetera. And the Cosby show, and everybody loved, people loved, me and my dad, my brother, we loved the Bill Cosby himself special. And and um, and y- you couldn't get away from it. I remember it being in a plane. Maybe it was when we even like flew to London or somewhere we flew to. Mm-hmm. And they were playing it on the plane. And I thought, well, oh, this is great. I get to listen to... He was so good. And in, that show was so good, especially initially. And it was revolutionary because the show was, looking back at it now, it was absolutely a conservative value show. Right. Totally. He was still funny. She still was a powerful woman, a feminist. You know, he's mm-hmm. a doctor. She's a lawyer. Powerful. The kids are, you know, normal, good, moral kids but dopes and have to be straightened out constantly
1: mm-hmm.
3: And but the, sh- the show was a treasure it was so good and people loved him and and this is kind of visual but i just want to play a, a, a cut from the show this is when the, a friend of the family one of the, a kid who pines after one of his daughters comes over and mrs cosby offers him or mrs huxtable in that in the show mrs huxtable offers him coffee now, he comes from, he, for some reason, even though this kid's only about 16, he's got antiquated views on gender roles.
1: How you doing, Alvin? Hi, Dr. Huxtable. How oh, Thanks for letting me in. It's okay. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Huxtable. Hello, Alvin. Is Sandra ready?
0: Well, uh, not yet, but she'll be down in a little while. Would you and Dr. Huxtable like some coffee? Coffee? Yeah,
1: coffee. You mean you're going to get it?
0: <laughs> yeah. You're surprised?
1: I'm sorry, Mrs. Huxtable. I didn't think you did that kind of thing.
0: What kind
1: of thing? You know, serve.
3: Serve whom? So meanwhile, meanwhile Mr. Huxable, Bill Cosby, now has his head in his hands. He realizes that the kid's, the naive kid has fallen into a a, uh, a bad, uh, not trap, but he's uh, unfortunately gotten, he's gotten himself into a corner. Mrs. Cosby, of course, is now getting agitated because the kid, it's, it's a gender old thing. I'll leave it alone. Serve him.
0: Oh, serve him! As in, serve your man? Well, yeah. Let me tell you something, Melvin. <laughs> you see, I am not serving Dr. Huxtable, okay? Okay. That's the kind of thing that goes on in a restaurant. Now, I'm going to bring him a cup of coffee, just like he brought me a cup of coffee this morning. And that young man is what marriage is made of. It is give and take, 50 50. And if you don't get it together and drop these macho attitudes, you are never going to have anybody bringing you anything, anywhere, any place, anytime, ever. <laughs> What would you like in your coffee?
1: Maybe I could get you some coffee. I
0: Elvin. Mean, that's all right. I don't mind getting it, but thanks for offering.
3: She walks into the kitchen.
1: Elvin? Yes, sir? When she brings the coffee back, if I were you, I wouldn't drink it.
3: <laughs> and that's the kind of thing, kind of thing the way that show was. It was legit funny, with lessons. <clears throat>
1: mm-hmm.
3: And in the Cosby Show, the the show centered. It was it was a telling of a different black story as well, an American story. Mm-hmm. That once again, she's a lawyer, he's a doctor. His uh, dad, I think, was a it was a retired jazz musician. They bring in all these famous jazz musicians. Cosby hmm. was into jazz, to have cameos and guest stars on the show, and they play jazz, etc. It was a show where you were educated during the show. It was certainly centered around, uh, you know, morality, etc. It was those. It was ultimate nuclear family, mm-hmm. totally nuclear family. The kids had to be straightened out. When the kids got out of line, the wrath of the mother was exacted on them. It was, it was just a lovely show. It was beautiful, and it was a hu- it was the ratings leader through the roof, mm-hmm. um, on Thursday nights, and it was the the best thing around. Absolutely, and people loved Bill Cosby, and and, uh, and it was just a, the show was a treasure of a show. Yeah, and I remember actually when the Simpsons came out. Sim- they moved the Simpsons time to compete against Cosby and I think it started to beat Cosby and I, I remember him uh, pleading publicly in the newspaper can you not put it we don't have to do mm. this we can people can watch obviously it behooved him to have people watch his show, but also I think he got his show as his public service right and it was just wonderful and this guy had the cleanest image in the world mm-hmm. and then you know he went on to be um almost a, an activist. Right. In the inner city, telling kids to pull your pants up, telling kids to, Mm -hmm. you know, to um, learn to work hard.
2: When I was in college, actually, one of the conservative groups on campus hosted him as a speaker to come talk. Uh, So he was doing like the
3: speaking
2: tour circuit.
3: (laughs) Yes. And and he started to upset people by Mm -hmm. doing this. But he was a guy who grew up, I think, with nothing in Philadelphia and busted his rear end, went to UMass Amherst, I think. I think that's right. I don't know. um and he had he came he was old school you work harder and traditional American values he was et cetera but mm-hmm. he still embraced his 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 past is the african-american experiences etc right so he was an incredible iconic guy and really an honorable guy as far as we all knew mm-hmm. so then when there's all these stories and you had heard he, dribs and drabs that this guy was kind of a cab. In the same way you had heard that Weinstein was a cab a cad. Uh, around the time of Tropic Thunder. People said, mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy Weinstein's a jerk. He's a groper. He's a guy who like will will punch people. He's like you know, Trump, mm-hmm. Cruz Played him in Tropic Thunder, you know. Right. Grossman or whatever. So but then this more stuff comes out about Cosby and all these stories come out and 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 the the stories are him Raping people? Absolutely. It, not just raping people. The guy it seemed to make an art form out of it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, he was drugging women and doing all sorts of other things. They were part of his big play in his head, and it was a twisted, sick, dark stuff. And so his name, you know, was uh, was Mud. And right, right they the, stopped
2: because, playing the show everywhere. I mean, it just right. it was over. Everything he was, dead was gone. It was
3: over. Absolutely. The you know the most. Revered guy in the country became the most despised, right? And reviled. Is that reviled the mm-hmm. word? And so it's just so it's interesting. So then, and he's and then he's pretending or whatever that he can't see when he's going to jail. And it's like the whole end was horrible. Whatever, a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah.
3: But so today he gets let go. mm Hmm. And it's just interesting to me because Felicia Rashad doesn't mean anything to you. But Felicia Rashad was, a, was the beautiful woman who played Claire Huxtable, his wife. That's the woman you just heard. Mm-hmm. I remember in the, in the 80s thinking that, that she was probably one of the top five beautiful women on the face of the earth. She was just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And she played this lovely and strong and ass-kicking wife on the Cosby Show, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting So he's out now. Felicia Rashad tweeted Mm -hmm. today with a picture of him saying, finally, exclamation points, a terrible wrong is being righted. A miscarriage of justice is corrected, exclamation point. And it's weird. For a moment, I, I just got this quick flash return of what this guy used to be hmm. when he was so beloved and so acceptable, the right. most acceptable. Mm-hmm. Just because she had tweeted that, which I would think was a risky thing for her to oh uh, Yeah, anyway. kind
2: of in the Me Too era, you would in the think.
3: Me Too era, and we seem to have a prolific rapist on our hands here. Yeah. But it was just odd to to, to that just to see it. I've never had this particular sensation before when she, for a second... Brought him back for for a moment, just on social media, and it, it rem- you remember what his, his old brand was, or I remember what his old brand was. Mm-hmm. People my age would remember, right, what his old brand was, because people my age loved this guy, and yeah. you know, and then it divorced him when the rest of the world did. Said, okay, I guess my kids won't be watching that, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's so. Hey, hey, let me ask you a question. Yeah, would you let our kids watch the Cosby Show?
2: I mean, I guess in a vacuum I would, but it's like so nuclear level toxic now right. that it's like you almost can't because it's so like what? Then they're gonna like mention to their friends that they watch it and like start quoting him. Yeah, like I just feel like you can't. <laughs> it's you know all been made radioactive. You just can't do any of it. You know, we used to watch... I didn't grow up watching The Cosby Show, but we used to watch Seventh Heaven, and the dad from that show also turned out to have a problem.
3: Yeah, a pedophile.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what it is. But, yeah, it's... I mean, I think there's something about that in particular and the juxtaposition of that with the absolute wholesomeness of the image of the thing that it destroys it more almost like <clears throat> i feel like people can still watch harvey weinstein movies because they were always like a little more risque or something well, and he's not in them well yeah that too i guess but you know there's something about like or i still watch firefly even though what's his name is awful who um Oh, you know, the the Marvel, the guy who directed some of the Avengers, and oh, uh,
3: you know who I mean. Uh, Josh Whedon? Josh
2: Whedon? Whedon, yes. Um, yeah, but
3: he's not a pedophile, is he? Or, or No, rapist? he's not a pedophile. He's an a-hole.
2: Uh, yeah, but he was... Mm, yeah,
3: he, um, he was
2: gross to women. Right, he would
3: um, beat them, uh, mentally abuse them, kind of, uh, mm-hmm. just, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, so... But also, those things aren't, like, wholesome family fair you know <laughs> like there's something about it being opposed to like what the reality is that makes it worse to me somehow almost
3: right but it's so and it's that that's what makes this tough because he was the best mm-hmm. family show guy right so seven heaven i understand that was loved as well but this was like the cosby show was the show of the 80s right he was the best Somebody you could point to and somebody teaching kids the right lessons to. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. They've already used, they've already, well, I, like, I, maybe another example could possibly be, um, well, I guess OJ Simpson, you know, it, yeah. until I was about 21 years old, OJ was a v- former athlete, very funny comedic actor in naked gun. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he killed somebody. Um, or some people. Mm-hmm. And but it's weird now because he's out there again.
2: Well, he's out right. there. And on I mean, but media. people this do guy,
3: Cosby go, could be doing comedy soon. People may go and fill up the clubs.
2: People probably will go and fill up the clubs, to be honest. I mean, and you do have to feel a little bit like because he had taken this kind of conservative point of view, especially as a black man who was saying this to other black people, that there was like a particular joy that it turned out he was doing this amongst some people on the left and that they could put him away
3: yes he did not enjoy some protections that especially in 2021 others would have
2: yeah so i i do think there was like a particular thrill that he was put away for some people and that now they're particularly mad that he got out but um yeah like i said i mean Maybe almost like the OJ thing, although I didn't follow the legal issues in that very closely. But I, you know, I do think that it's important that we have a justice system that works fairly and Mm -hmm. and works properly and, you know, where we only bring in evidence according to specific rules of evidence even if it means we sometimes let people go who did very bad things like oj simpson or like whoever you know like bill cosby like whoever that there's that there are sometimes times when you can't just you know even though people do really bad things you can't always punish them and i I mean everybody everybody gets what they deserve in the absolute end so maybe that's one reason that i'm like more okay with it but you know we can't we have to have evidence rules because we have to have a civilization.
3: The uh, people, the responses are...
2: Yeah, people are really mad.
3: Jed Apatow is very mad. He said, Felicia, you should have met the victims. If I were somebody in Hollywood, I would be very careful between before uh, singling out somebody's associations with shady people. Somebody said, um, <laughs> Roofies for everyone. Tasteless.
2: Mm-hmm. Very
3: tasteless. Yeah, she absolutely. She has made some people very, very angry. But you know what? Uh, they were friends, and wow. And so that's it. She's standing by him. Uh, I don't. I don't have a dog in this fight, uh, really. So I'm. I'm fine. I, I do think it's uh, too bad if <sighs> the show is uh, verboten, but probably. Uh... Probably a heavy lift at the end of the day. So, Alice, I can't believe, I apologize, mm-hmm. that I screwed up yesterday, the Ibram Candy stuff to the Burn Barrel listeners. Yes. You guys, I apologize. I screwed up. I didn't I didn't complete the story. Mm-hmm. So yesterday we played... Yeah,
2: I had sent Tom two parts, and he only yes. did one.
3: I, I got two parts, but the, the second part I got was not one that you wanted. So remember, yesterday we played this thing with uh, Kendi, with Gail King, uh, asking what white white people need to know, and he says that there are two things, and then he mentions three. What
0: are the questions white Americans should be asking?
1: Well, I think many white Americans claim they believe in racial equality, and so the way you put that to the test is by asking questions, questions about racial disparities. So why is it that unarmed black people are killed by police too many times, and and armed white people are are simply arrested. Why is it in Minneapolis that black people are 20% of the population, but 60% of the victims of police shootings? Why is it that the black unemployment rate is twice as high as the white unemployment rate? And there's only two answers. Either there's something wrong with black people, there's something superior about white people, or racism
3: right and really that's the point of what everything he said even though yesterday we deconstructed it and it's all easily answered so the point is um racism that's what he's saying racism right so that's the point completely so now alice let tell us uh what this next clip is and why, why the difference between them
2: um so yeah so we have the one clip of him talking about how um how all the things that white people need to do because of the ways that we prop up racism. And then, and this has been, you know, sort of his thing that he's been doing. This is what he's famous for, is you hire him to tell you about how you're racist, because that's what he does, even though he says he's not a critical race theorist, whatever that is. Um, I guess it's like how Bill Nye, the science guy, isn't a scientist, but, you know, Still, he claims to be a science guy. Iber Max Kendi comes and talks to you about how you're racist, but he's not a critical race theorist, technically. Anyway, um, so then he was on recently with, um, what's her name? Is it Joy? Joy Reed? Yes. Joy Reed. And uh, so now we're in the middle of this whole ongoing news cycle about how people are not liking critical race theory because understandably they don't like being told they're a bunch of incorrigible racists. (laughs) And um, so the whole critical race theory industry is in backpedal mode where they're claiming that critical race theory isn't even a thing that even exists <laughs> and only uh, lawyers practice it and they just want to teach about history and it has nothing to do with critical race theory. They don't even know what critical race theory is and could we please define it? Because they're a little confused. They've never heard that term before. It's They've literally never heard of critical race theory until just now. So here she is asking him what he thinks about white people. Do yeah. you believe that
0: white people
1: Americans are inherently racist? Oh, I do not. And, and indeed, in How to Be an Anti-Racist, I make the case that we shouldn't believe that anyone is inherently racist or that we should identify anyone as a racist. And I make the case that racist isn't a fixed category. It's a descriptive term. That, that describes what a person is being in any given moment based on what they're doing or saying. And so if a person is saying black people are lazy, they're being racist. But if in the very next moment, they're advocating a policy that creates justice and uh, in, in equity for all. They're being anti-racist.
3: OK, uh, that's I, it, 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 what we need. Right. Do you know? Emergency. There you go. Uh, so it's
2: gone. Yeah. Where would no. it go? White people aren't inherently racist. Although he does say in that same clip that anyone can be racist one minute and anti-racist the next. And I'm going to take a wild guess that he thinks a lot of us are being racist all the time, even though we're not inherently racist. I mean, like, geez, rip off the concept of original sin a little bit more, you guys. (laughs) Humans are by nature good, but fallen into sin, and so naturally have an innate tendency to constantly be buried but in isn't sin. Isn't
3: this as interesting, Alice, mm-hmm. That as a slow and um, as a slow and sober and resolute movement, this critical race theory—the stuff that he's been pushing—we'll call it all critical. We know what it is, right? 1619 Project, you know, whatever. All of this stuff has been creeping and creeping and creeping. Mm -hmm. And was in a perfect place. It was right next to, but had the cover of, at least in the last year and a half, the racial reconciliation, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And when it's finally brought out, brought out of the academia, brought out of you know, um, uh, DEI, um, uh, um, you know, meetings, mm-hmm. and and pursued and caught and challenged in the open. They immediately retreat. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, they're.
2: It's all a phantasm that just vanishes into the mist when you confront it and that's exactly the idea of the thing i mean part of this whole thing is where they're going like oh critical race theory is something that's only even taught in law schools children wouldn't Mm. even understand it it's a very high level graduate level stuff we're not teaching that to kids that's ridiculous don't be crazy well like i mean we don't teach little kids astrophysics either but we teach them that like the earth rotates around the sun, even though they don't know astrophysics, we're teaching them stuff that's informed by adult understandings of, of astrophysics, even if we're not physicists, you know, like it just, of course, of course this junk that everybody hates is being informed by critical race theory and we all know it and now that they're in like backpedal total denial mode where they're claiming like absolutely nobody's teaching this maybe a few people somewhere have some weird idea of diversity trainings and you know they're just a little off base but like that's not a curriculum that we're doing in an organized way across the whole country oh no even though there's like examples of this Mm -hmm. everywhere and every time it gets challenged and people say like So, um, I know somebody was talking to a teacher about this who was claiming that this, like, isn't a thing and doesn't exist, you know, and they kind of said, like, well, then why are you opposed to the Texas law since the Texas law is just saying, like, you know, you can't teach kids that, like, one race is inherently more moral or better than another. And they were like, well, because I don't think we should be having laws to combat non-existent problems, and since this isn't even something that exists, like, okay, good, so we're in agreement, so nobody should be teaching that, so you're actually fine with the Texas law, you just think it's unnecessary, because right. it sounded like what you were saying was the... the...
3: I'm in the wasteful <laughs> law business, and um, the Texas I've never and... known liberals
2: to actually really be that upset about useless no. laws before, until just now, but apparently it's a really big problem that people are uh, banning actual racism being taught right. to children in the well, classroom. And
3: also, you you take it and you unearth this critical race theory and all this this wacko niche ridiculous crap mm-hmm. and you use it, you employ it to turbocharge the anti-cop movement and all this other wild radical stuff that you're trying to do in the streets from the statues to the, uh, the reorg of community resources, etc. All that stuff. You use that and then that becomes wildly unpopular. You can't escape quick enough. Right, you're not. You're not out. You're not. You've, yeah. you, you've left the theoretical, and you're now the gift wrap around <laughs> actual action items. Right.
2: Now the Republicans are defunding the police. We absolutely never wanted to right. defund the police. Right. That's ridiculous. You're Who telling was Ted Repu- Cruz,
3: no, Ted Cruz is a critical race theorist. It's not me.
2: <laughs> it's just insane yes. behavior.
3: George and Floyd like- killed Chauvin. We've always said he did. Nobody's gaslighting anybody. You're gaslighting. It is remarkable to see and probably a good sign. It's a good sign. Well,
2: yeah, because nobody actually likes their stuff.
3: Right. Right. I I don't know what guilt-ridden white beta males (laughs) and... um, and, uh, The guy in the spa in L.A. (laughs) Range Rover driving um, women with uh, several hyphenated names. I don't know what they're going to do now that they can't get on Instagram and tell us how guilty they are of racism and colonialism. I don't know where the next high is going to be. Is it going to be like back to like barbiturates or something? What's the next move? What's the next uh, soul cleanser for uh, guilty white progressives?
2: Well, I don't know. I do. I feel like um, they did the race thing. I mean, I think they're going to keep going on the trans stuff because that's like a big.
3: Yeah. But don't you think, Alice, that there's going to be, I, I think the trans movement as well. I don't think it wants the eye of Soren on it because
2: of the, uh, especially the girls sports. I know a lot of like totally normal. Don't really follow politics. People like who voted for Biden, who are these like sort of normie suburban people and who were upset about the girls sports stuff. Right. Like, wait, why is Biden letting boys compete in girls sports? I don't get it.
3: That's where you start. And then there's the other, just the bullying of it. And the, in the, the, uh, the, the, the false narratives that are pushed, the false, um, uh, the false information that's pushed, and in sh- murky information mm-hmm. about the suicide rates and how many people are being killed for this and that, there are all these sloganeering bullet point facts that mm-hmm. are said and are used all over Facebook by by these young people to, to, to tell us why there can be nobody stopping any fi- fifteen year old from getting top surgery without the parents knowing. There are all these reasons for it, and they're all emergency meeting reasons, you know? Yeah. Because there's going to be a suicide, because there's going to be a murder if we don't, because of the... But the more people look into this, and it's and it's because people have had guts enough to write books about this, mm-hmm. Abigail Schreier and people like that, more people look into this, they're looking and saying, huh, this is not good, including, you know, big second wave feminists mm-hmm. who are, are as ha- happy to... Um, to draw and quarter a white conservative as anybody else, male.
2: Well, and sometimes, um, you know, trans people in particular, mm-hmm. sometimes older trans people who transition later in life and stuff are saying, like, this is not something that's for kids. These are big, huge life decisions that need to be undertaken with a full understanding of what adult sexuality is and how you'll view your body and your life as an adult who wants to be sexual with other people in a lot of cases and you need to understand the full impact of this and you need to understand the full impact of i mean these surgeries exist but they're not um this is a mitigation measure for people with very severe dysphoria about their bodies Mm -hmm. and it can like ease some of their mental anguish over their body not looking how they would like it to look but it is not it is not the same as coming that way naturally right you don't end up with the same body and the same issues in your life you it's a lifetime of medicalization a lifetime of issues problems crop up i mean it's just it, Like, you need to go into something like that that's that big a decision, clear eyed about what the risks are. And a four year old that, you know, wants to be named Henrietta instead of Henry doesn't have the the context and the understanding to make decisions like this. And there are adult trans people, too, like Blair White and others who are saying, like, these are not decisions that little kids can make because they don't have the full context and understanding of these of these issues. They just don't you know and, and and
3: everybody knows that nobody would let a fourteen year old or 15 year old 16 year old make this kind of life decision.
1: Nobody right. would
3: they know it's it's ridiculous there's a reason there's a reason why people strongly tell young people not to get tattoos because we've all been fifteen and then we've all been thirty <laughs> right. and those two people are two totally different people mm-hmm. and
2: you know and adults have the context to understand things about what it's like to be a kid, but kids don't have the context to understand what right. it's like to be an adult, even though they think that they do at the time. I did. We all did. When you're young, you think you know everything, and you just assume that you're going to feel the way that you feel forever. But a lot of times, in particular in puberty, a lot of times the way you feel about things when you're going through these like crazy hormonal periods in your life and everything seems so huge, it turn out to not be what you think that they are. I don't know, but... Oh, that's my two cents on that. But yeah, I mean I think it's one of those things where like just normal people are not really as on board. I mean I think everybody's on board with like people should be nice to people. Like you shouldn't ostracize people or make fun of people or like murder trans people. Like nobody's for (laughs) that. Like I don't Oh wait, you shouldn't? (laughs)
3: Oh, I see. I had been getting the misinformation. It...
2: So, I mean, I think, I think if our friends on the left would, you know, have an honest conversation about this, they would find that people are are coming at this from a place of compassion and.
3: And most people don't have it on, on their immediate, short-term bucket list to murder anyone.
2: <laughs> True, they don't. So, I mean, yeah, it, but. I don't know. We'll see. So I don't know what would come after that. If we run out of race stuff and we run out of trans stuff, I don't know what comes after.
3: Oh, the fats. My people are on the move.
2: Oh, yeah, the true. The fat phobia stuff, that's a big one. And, uh, you know, like a lot of wine moms could probably get behind that (laughs) for selfish
3: reasons as well. So, guys, I want you to know if you watch on YouTube – you probably saw us talking to me, talking to Sally, our daughter. And the reason was there have been massive thunderstorms, awesome thunderstorms I we are going to
2: lose power and not be able to do yeah, the it show it her on and
3: off uh, just a couple of minutes ago. And a neighbor's dog uh, bolted from the house, from the yard or from wherever she he hangs out. And last time there was thunderstorms, he jumped the fence, too. And so he is, uh, so I asked my daughter to go look for him. So that's what that was. If you saw me, I, cause I saw, you could see us, me saying something to her, but I cut off the volume so nobody could hear, but I want people to know. I, that would kill me to see that through. and say, not even what we're going through, what the hell am I saying? Mm-hmm. That would kill me to not be able to know. It seems like a trivial thing, but here you go. We just got a text from our friend saying he just came home, the puppy filthy, soaking wet and limping. Oh no! Yes. Then he calls him an idiot. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alice.
2: Well, thank goodness. Happy so ending.
3: You, Alice has likes to every couple. Uh, every well, certainly about twice a year. Um, gets in a usually dark uh, obsession, and it was when we first met. Remember, you just got you were uh, just you couldn't get away from the Kennedy assassination for some reason. Um you were, Oh yeah,
2: I got into a thing yes. about it where I researched the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, yeah.
3: And you were like working on the case and this and that. <laughs> I know, I read all awkward. the
2: Warren Commission testimony and everything. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah and had to you know, and so <laughs> and now it's this thing in Florida. I like
0: the, reading con- stuff.
3: Now it's the Florida con- the condo oh. collapse. And Alice is taking a deep dive into this, and you did find some great audio. This is from. This is
2: we talked about this woman the other day, actually. I, yes, I read some stuff that she had said, but this is her speaking. Actually, this is
3: local ten, and I think it's in Miami, but it's in Southern Florida somewhere. His her name is Ileana Mantiagudo. and yes, Alice mentioned before. that now she speaks. This is her. This is I'm just going to play the news the uh, news rap essentially, Uh, and her story is incredible.
0: For 64-year-old Ileana Montecudo, it's as if a supernatural force, she says, woke her up. I feel like sounds, strange sounds, strange. And I run to my living room. And there she spots a crack, snaking its way down a wall. Something inside of me said, run, because this building will collapse. She races barefoot toward a staircase by the elevators. And I start going down fast and I feel crack, crack, crack. As she emerges on the ground floor, a security guard is there, helping the grandmother of three climb over walls. He helped her escape. And for her son, Andres Alvarez, the magnitude of his mom's decision. Three seconds. Only hit him, he says, when he called her about two days later.
3: Knowing that I could call her, you know, just not being able to w- would have killed me, and I started just crying my eyes out on the phone with my mother. Three seconds separate
0: el, el, me, uh, the, li- the, the life to
3: to death. Three seconds. Incredible. Incredible. And the guy, he does, her son brings up a, a really, really, it's almost um jarring point that he gets to call his mother and she'll answer the phone and the other people can't call their parents and they just don't know.
2: Yeah. There was actually one family and this is really like nightmare inducing. So trigger warning, but there was one family that the grandparents were in the tower when it collapsed and the family didn't know what's going on. They got 16 phone calls from their landline phone number from in the apartment after the building collapsed over the next few days 16 phone calls nothing but static on the other side huh. so they don't know were they trying to call and it's just messed up like were they trapped in the rubble somewhere and still alive and trying to call is it just a fluke of the thing being
3: that uh, is i mean spooky yeah this is
2: That's scary i mean there is a story today in washington post a fisherman who was on the side there who happened to be nearby on the beach and saw it fall there were people on the balconies because it collapsed in like two chunks there was like Mm -hmm. eight seconds in between there when the first part fell and a bunch of people who were in some of the other parts like got up and were like what's going on and a bunch of people were out on their balconies when that next part came down screaming as the building fell so yeah scary stuff I don't like it. It's horrible.
3: Yeah, that is that is very very. Uh, apparently,
2: there's a little drama too because apparently the Ron DeSantis people have been trying to get Trump to not do his rally in Florida this week.
3: Yeah, I'd heard that from a caller today on the on the mm-hmm. radio station. Um, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where to come down on that. I mean. Where is this rally supposed to be? Right it's there? like
2: It's on the opposite side of Florida, so it's like 200 miles away from it.
3: The, well, of course, the move is to use his rally as a fundraiser for them. That's the move. Although, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know, what know if Trump do- is
2: constitutionally capable of that of like raising money for a cause other
3: than himself do that in one of the debates for vets yeah but
2: did he actually give it to vets i don't know (laughs) i don't know (laughs) that's That's why i say i don't know if he did actually (laughs) give it to them actually (laughs) um so uh yeah that it's but but biden's going there what tomorrow friday tomorrow biden is
3: going there uh tomorrow yes Hmm. he will be there yeah well in this and then we'll just see exactly because if biden goes there and starts talking infrastructure infrastructure infrastructure
2: that's i mean that would be really gross if he does that yes it would uh, be so i hope he, they can not do that that would be good if they could not do that i, I do think too that at this point like i realize that they were really hoping for miracles and that people have been pulled out of rubble 100 hours later still alive. Mm-hmm. but i mean we're what a week after it now
3: yeah, and it's, uh, it's rain down there. There's been fires down there.
2: And I've heard people say the building, it looks like a sand dune, that it's like, <coughs> it's really rubble, rubble. It's, I mean, it. I don't know. They've moved like millions of pounds of concrete now off of the pile looking for people. I just, I, I mean, I think that at this point, they shouldn't be giving people too much hope now at this point.
3: You know what blows me away? Is it, aren't people still living in the third building? In the third section?
2: Oh, no, they're not in the third section of that same building. They took those people out. There's two other buildings, um, which are newer one that's just a couple years newer, and then one that's, um, that's maybe like 10 years newer, more newer. Yeah. Also, that are, you know, built that are in that same like complex, the Champlain Towers complex. And they're, um, But so the people who are in Champlain Towers North, which is the one that was just built like two years later, have been very concerned. And they've actually the part of the emergency funding, they've let those people decide to live somewhere else if they're too nervous. But they've done a bunch of inspections and it doesn't look like that building's in as bad shape. But, you know, I mean, and people were looking at this building and saying this is really deteriorated. We need to do this upkeep work. But nobody was saying obviously everyone get out this is going to fall down at any second so you know i don't i don't know how i would feel about it if i were in the sister tower i don't think i would feel that great about being there but uh
3: yeah oh.
2: but you know and there's um there's a lot of talk somebody did a big thread about how like we need to go after all these HOAs that are allowing people to like not do upkeep on these buildings again we don't know if it's a question of not doing upkeep or if there was like an initial design flaw that caused the building to deteriorate or like what the deal is. You know, we we just still don't know that yet. So it's hard to say like, oh, these HOAs always not doing upkeep. So I think there is going to be a push. It's interesting. Um, You know, we talked about how the infrastructure bill is not uh, for condos. <laughs> None of it goes to fixing old condominium buildings. But Um, It is going to be interesting to see. I do think we're going to see a push to force HOAs in condominiums to do more upkeep, to um, collect and set aside more money for upkeep and things like that after this. If, if, you know, a sort of policy push comes out of this, I think it's probably going to be something like that. What would happen? Um, to force HOAs, like, by law, for example, to make, you know, so you have to pay condo fees, right, mm-hmm. to go into a fund to use for repairs and upkeep. They were going to have, I mean, this was, like, a $15 million project or something that they were going to do on this condo to restore the, the structural issues and, and everything, um, including, like, $4 million for the... For the um, concrete in the garage and stuff. So this was going to be like huge add on extra fees for the condominium owners that they were going to have to pay either as a lump sum or like over the years. I mean, like, I don't know, like $10,000 or something, like an extra money above and beyond their normal condo fees for these projects. So. You know, but if it turns out that there was maintenance that should have been getting done all along that wasn't being done, and again, we don't really know that at this point in time, but if that's what turns out happened, or even maybe if it doesn't turn out that that's what happened, it may be that um we see a push to make condo associations. Uh, put aside more money in advance so these things can be done like immediately when they're found because so they found these problems in 2018 and then they were allowed to deteriorate potentially for two plus more years while they and again nobody apparently told them that there was this level of urgency that the building was i think they all would have paid right away had they known the building was going to fall down but
3: i would say so
2: (laughs) i think they would have chosen that option but but, um, you know, so there was this delay and you and I know because we just did construction on our house like this stuff takes time. You get the structural report and then you have to hire a company to make a plan and put it out to bid for contractors. And then you have to like get everybody in the hundred and thirty whatever units to agree to the process and the fees and make a decision about whether they want to do the monthly payments or the lump sum. payment. I mean, like stuff takes time to do all- to get all that stuff organized. So, you know. I think, though, there may be a push to to make condo buildings do more thorough inspections more frequently and have more money set aside for necessary repairs so that it can be done quicker. Because, um, you know, obviously something happened here.
3: All right, Alice, I'm going to try to, on a happier note. Yes. On a happier no- note, Alice. hmm Politico reports... Not a healthy environment," in quotes, Kamala Harris' office rife with dissent. There is dysfunction inside the VP's office, aides and administration officials say, and it's emanating from the top. <laughs> hmm. When VP Kamala Harris finally made a decision to visit the Mexico border last week, people inside her own office were blindsided by the news. For days, aides and outside allies had been calling and texting with her, uh, uh, w- with each other about the political fallout that a potential trip would entail. But when it became known that she was going to El Paso, it left many scrambling, including officials who were responsible for making travel arrangements and others outside the VP's office charged with crafting the messaging across the administration. Huh. I thought Trump's administration was the only one that was in in total chaos. The handling of the border visit was the latest chaotic moment for a staff that's quickly become mired in them. Harris's team is experiencing low morale, <laughs> porous lines of communication, and diminished trust among aides and senior officials. Much What's of a frust-
2: porous line of communication? Does that mean there's leaks?
3: Yeah, I would say so.
2: Okay.
3: Uh, and gaps, I would say. Mm. Uh, much of the, if, uh, the frustration inter- is internally is directed at Tina Flourney. Flournoy, Harris's chief of staff, a veteran of democratic politics, who began working for her earlier this year. In interviews, 22 current and former vice presidential aides, you, you hate to see it, administration officials and the show associates of Harris and Biden described a tense and at times dour office atmosphere. Aides and allies said Flournoy, in an apparent effort to protect Harris, has instead created an insular environment where ideas are ignored or met with harsh dismissals and decisions are dragged out. Often, they said, she refuses to take responsibility for delicate issues and blame staffers for the negative results that ensue. ensue.
2: <laughs> that rings true to me. Yes. Like, when she went to Guatemala totally unprepared to answer questions about the border, oh, um, totally. that you have to think that there were people who were saying, like, okay, so they're probably going to ask you why you haven't been to the border. Yep. And she ignored them and then probably went back to the office after those disastrous interviews and yelled at everybody. That's right.
3: That's right. <laughs> so you're going to have to prep for this. I know what I'm doing. I'm the vice president. Why haven't you been to the border? I haven't been to Europe either. Okay. <laughs> Why didn't you guys give me something to damn say? I love it. Well, much of this is aimed at Harris's chief two administration officials say the VP herself also bears responsibility for the way her office is run. It all starts at the top, said one administration official, who, like the others, would question anonymity. Yeah, good thought. People are thrown under the bus from the very top. There are short fuses, and it's an abusive environment, said another person with direct (laughs) knowledge. Oh, this is too good. It's not not a healthy environment for people, uh, and people often feel mistreated. It's not a place where people feel supported, but a place where people feel treated like bleep. The dysfunction of VP's ranks threatens to complicate the White House's carefully crafted image as a place staffed by close-knit, a close-knit group of professionals working in concert to advance a president's agenda. It's pronounced enough that members of the president's own team have taken notice and are concerned about the way Harris staffers are treated. Simone Sanders, senior advisor and st- chief spokesperson for Harris, pushed back against the complaints and defended Flourney, saying she, quote, has an open-door policy and that all black women like me would not, And the black women like me would not have the opportunity to work in politics without Tina. Yeah, that's not too defensive at all. Mm. Uh, she cites the critics saying people are cowards to do it this way. Oh, that must suck having people leak stuff about yes. you. Hmm. Oh, here we go. This is the word she says. We are not making rainbows and bunnies all day. What I hear is that people have hard jobs, and I'm like the welcome to the club, Sanders added. We have, uh, we have cre- created... Wait, is she talking about the staffers? Wow, she is, isn't she? We're not making rainbows and bunnies all day. What I hear is that people have hard jobs, and I'm like, welcome to the club.
2: That sounds like a really yes. healthy work environment. Totally. That's, good. Think so. That's what I want to hear from my boss. And I'm yes. like, wow, this environment's really abusive. Yes. Sounds like your it's job's hard. To me too. <laughs> you know what I'm going through?
3: <laughs> I have had bosses like this.
2: Sounds like your job's pretty hard. Yeah. Welcome to the club. <clears throat> like, okay, maybe this isn't the place I want to be working. Geez. We have
3: created a culture where people, if there is anything anyone would like to raise, there are avenues for them to do so. Whoever has something they would like to raise, Uh, They should raise it directly. Talk about somebody who should have talked on background. (laughs) But no, it's just a rip bleep. Harrison Flournoy's defenders also note that the women in power, black women in particular, are subjected to standards that men often don't have to clear. Right. A tough and demanding office environment may be seen as a virtue for one and a sign of disorder and lack of leadership acumen for another. Uh...
2: There's a difference, though. I mean, like, think about the Klobuchar stories. The Klobuchar stories were like that she's abusive because people who were writing her press releases like screwed up the grammar in them and stuff like that's a tough boss who's being tough on you. You know that what we're talking about here is Harris not taking advice and then being mad at people that nobody prepared her. That's a different deal.
3: Oh, this is great.
2: There's a difference from being this tough on your This is great, Alice.
3: Steph. Thankfully, well,
2: I was in a stroller.
3: <laughs> I was in a stroller, and uh... this doesn't seem like the kind of person at all who loses her bleep ba- backstage at all, right?
2: Yeah, people who when laugh. people who when confronted with something they don't know how to answer do a forced fake laugh. Uh, Why don't be ready? Really mad. <laughs> oh yeah, well, really mad. <laughs> And I was in a stroller, and um, so I was out there, and in fact, my wow. mother used to have a very funny story about, it. I was fussing, and, and and she said, Kamala, what do you want? And I said, and this is how she would say it, and she said, Kamala, what do you want? And I
1: said, tweet him. Oh. <laughs> oh, come on. It was a much cuter story when she would tell it, but that's the story she
3: told. (laughs) I mean, do you think that's when you get instilled? uh... Yeah, that's what she gets instilled, Jimmy. (laughs) Cut it out.
2: Well, the Biden people must be getting annoyed, though, because of all this. And also on top of it, like the ethics issues that she's had, like with her sister making money off or Sorry, her niece uh, making money off Kamala stuff.
3: I think it's her niece. I think it's her stepdaughter. Though, no, man.
2: that's the one that's a model and whatever. All right.
3: But very pretty. All right. So um, I. Uh, Wait.
2: Yes. Oh, we have not been covering the New York mayoral election, which right. is uh, perfection because um, they are now doing. Uh, Ranked Choice Voting, RCV, which we defeated a couple years ago in Massachusetts. We don't have Ranked Choice Voting, thankfully. Um, It's often been used in, like, smaller city races and stuff. But New York is, like, the first really big one where they're doing Ranked Choice Voting. And um, I don't know how much people know about it, but basically the idea is that... in Instead of when you have like these big fields, like in a mayor's race, and you have a lot of people running instead of like one person winning with 35% of the vote as it gets split up. And instead of having to hold another whole election where you have a runoff later between the top two, what you can do is it's sometimes called instant runoff, where you take uh, you, when you do the ballots, you ask people not only who their first choice is, but their second choice, third choice, whatever, all the way down. And then what you do is after you get the initial results of everybody's first choice, you drop the lowest person. And you put all their second choice votes to those candidates and then you see who's ahead. And if still nobody has 50 percent, then you go back and you take off the next lowest person and you take all their second choice. Or if this was somebody's second choice, their third choice, whatever the next choice is down the down the line until you get somebody over 50 percent. So they knew this was going to be a little bit complicated. So they were already preparing people like not to expect the results of the mayoral the same night and uh they were kind of like hedging knowing that this was maybe not going to go well but this was also the complexity of this situation was also compounded by the fact that their election laws allow people to get in their absentee ballots up to a week after election day so They don't even have all the ballots yet. They can't even tally what people's first choices are. And they're already like doing projections of what it looks like with the second choices. If you just have the ballots you have and this and that. So Eric Adams, who's kind of this like conservative Democrat, I think he actually used to be a Republican, but he's a a black guy who's sort of an old school uh, Democrat in New York. He came in first in first choice votes on election night for what they had then at that time now we're a week out they've been tallying some other stuff as they do and um there's people gaining on him so one is uh somebody Garcia I forget her name and then the other one is Maya Wiley who's sort of the AOC endorsed like super progressive defund the police candidate and um so they're gaining but it's like very not transparent because they still have tons of absentee ballots that they haven't counted. And they're looking at people's second choices based on this. But it could all change because somebody else might be eliminated once they get all the absentees. It's been a mess. Now, then they added in a bunch of votes and a bunch of people said this doesn't look right. There's like a discrepancy here with the numbers of second choice votes that you're adding in. Something's not right with the way these numbers are looking. And in particular, Eric Adams, who's looking like his election night apparent Mm -hmm. victory in first choice votes is looking now like it's in danger, is getting upset about this. But, of course, what did we learn in 2020? What is the one thing you're not allowed to do in terms of elections?
3: A big lie. Not allowed to have the big lie. You're not
2: allowed to doubt the results, especially if it looks like you're winning on election night and then the numbers all shift out of your favor and, you know... It's looking bad for you if you claim that there were any shenanigans. That's like Donald Trump and that's bad. So, you know, Ian Milheiser is saying this is some Donald Trump bleep as he's right. saying that there's a problem. He's saying there's over this is off by over a hundred thousand votes. Something's wrong here with these second choices that they're adding in this isn't right you know chris hayes is saying something to consider is that the corrosive big lie conspiracy theorizing and delegitimization of elections that trump and the gop have unleashed won't necessarily just stay contained to them like this is trump's fault that the new york board of elections is screwing this up and doing the most untransparent Byzantine, ridiculous process to determine the winner of a mayoral election in the world. So this was at like 5.30 last night, right? They're all saying this stuff. Can't believe Eric Adams is putting out this statement. It's the big lie all over again. It's Donald Trump. It's blah, blah, blah. It's corrosive. A couple of hours later, New York City Board of Elections, the Board of Elections conducts rigorous and mandatory pre-qualification testing for every election. It has been determined that ballot images used for testing were not cleared from the election management system. The election management system produces cast vote records from ballot images, and the RCV software uses the CVR to produce unofficial results. I don't know why anybody wouldn't trust this process. It sounds very clear and transparent. When the cast vote records were extracted for the first poll of RCV results, it included both the test and election night's results producing approximately 135,000 additional records. So, whoops we actually did add in a bunch of fake test votes that were just still in the system when we were doing the whole big thing. Lie,
3: big lie, so, uh, big lie. So
2: it's all very confusing. But I mean, to me, this is like the problem with ranked choice voting, which is why I'm glad that we don't have it. Um, another big concern is what what they're calling exhausted ballots, which is when people don't rank everybody. when they. And I mean, in the New York mayoral, there's a ton of like random crazy fringe so minutes. there's like you know five main ones and then there's like a bunch that are like random people with made up names and stuff like it's it's you don't know who most of them are. So if you don't rank everybody or you don't know or you just put one, like your vote doesn't end up getting counted in the runoff when actually if you had had a real runoff election with like the top two finishers later, then you probably would have found out more about them and you might have had a preference in the runoff, you know, but but people don't really understand rank choice voting that well, which, of course, the pundits are just mad at people for not bothering to be up on these obscure election procedures and exhausted ballots and you know cast vote records and rcv software and whatever like like that's our job to know that i just want to go and vote for who i want to be the mayor like is that so much to ask is that i mean like i really i think that this is really toxic and (laughs) if you don't like i
3: love it alice let's celebrate it
2: well if you like transparent clear election results where everybody's confident That the votes were counted and we know who won, preferably pretty soon after the election. Ranked choice voting is a bad way to go. I think New York has absolutely demonstrated that for everybody. So I think that's the big takeaway here. (laughs) Can I hit the button now? You can hit the button now. It's fine. Um, for more rants on electoral politics, you can follow us on Twitter. That's Burn Barrel Pod. I'm Alice Shattuck. He's Tom Shattuck. You can also email us, podcast at gmail.com or find us at burnbarrelpodcast.com. Uh, we're also at facebook.com slash burn barrel podcast or burn barrel podcast on gab and parlor. You can check out our YouTube channel, that's Tom Shannock's Burn Barrel, and you know, comment on the videos there, like them, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Supposedly that's good. Thank you so much as always for listening. We appreciate it.